as the mom of the house how very, very proud I am of all of you, how incredibly wonderful and beautiful you are, how generous you are, how kind you are, how good you are, how unselfish you are, how wonderful you are. Can I say that? Can I say that? Because you just never cease to amaze us. Year after year after year after year, the Lord surrounds us with kind, good and beautiful people that help us do what God has called us all to do together. And last week, uh, there was just such a sense of togetherness. And I'm going to preach on that tonight. So if you want to hear that message, you've got to come back tonight. Amen. I just want to preach prophetically what I felt God is doing in our togetherness. But this morning I was thinking about the Lord and how good he is. You know, when, when people in the Old Testament, when they went to war and they won great victories, the Lord would give them a time of rest. There'd be rest times. Who knows that in war, there's times of war, there's times of rest. And we have, we've had such an amazing victory. And I believe this. See, the scriptures say this. In, 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 it's in Habakkuk, isn't it? Test me in this. Is it Habakkuk, uh, Haggai, Malachi? Third time lucky. <laughs> Test me in this. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe and offering into the storehouse and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you cannot contain. And a lot of people preach, you know, when you give to God, then you get back money from God. And God does bless you financially, but that is not the only way God blesses you. You know, when he says he's pouring out a blessing on us, a blessing just isn't about finances. A blessing is something that is something that fills your whole world, your whole being, your whole family. The whole atmosphere of your life and the whole atmosphere of your home, the whole atmosphere of your mind. When God says, I'm going to pour out a blessing on you that you can't even contain, it means like it says in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. That God has filled me up so much that I just am overflowing. And see, for us to receive that blessing... We can't just grab that blessing as we fly past in our busy life. God has ordained that there will be a time when man would come to him and man would be in a place of complete rest in him and then in that place of complete rest, God will be able to pour out a blessing on him that he would not be able to contain. See, the whole thing that we do, all that we do, everything that we do is about you and God. It's the highest calling of man is to know God. And we can build great buildings and have great facilities and have great worship and have nice lights and all look pretty and all that kind of stuff. But if we don't know God, then it's all for nothing. This is a facility where we can come and know God more. Amen? So just in the Old Testament, God dwelt in a temple or a tabernacle. And so there had to be a, a building that could contain God. But it's changed in the New Testament. When Jesus died on the cross, 
The curtain in the temple was rent in two and God came out from dwelling in a tent, a tabernacle or a temple or behind a curtain and he came out to dwell in man. Amen? Now just have a look at this scripture in Isaiah 66 verse 1 and it says this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? And I truly believe, see, Isaiah is a prophetic scripture. He was a prophet. So he was talking not just about where is the house you'll build for me, where is the temple that someone will build so I can come and live in it. Isaiah was prophetically seeing that there would be a temple, a house, that would be built for God one day where God could come and rest on it. And if we have a look here, we can see in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you, say that, do you not know that you, say I, I, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? You see? So really, you're the house of God. This is the house of God. And God wants to come and God wants to dwell in you. And when he says in that scripture, heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool, where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? God's greatest desire, the greatest desire that God has is to be with you. He hangs around waiting to be with you. He waits for you to build a house for him, which is your body, your temple. And he waits for you to open the door of that house and say, God, come and rest in me. Come and rest on me. Amen? That's what God longs to do. His resting place is a place where he finds rest in you. There's a place where God wants to rest on you. God seeks to create in our heart deep down in here, a sanctuary for himself, a place where he might perpetually live, not just visit. Amen? A place where he might rest. Now, Hebrews 4.9 says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What does this mean, this Sabbath rest? Now, we're talking Hebrews, right? And we're talking about that now... We're on the other side of the law. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. Amen. And here was the law. When we're not structured by that we have to keep all these rules or we don't make it to heaven anymore. Now, through the blood of Jesus, he is our righteousness and by believing in him and doing our best to be good and do the right thing, then we are saved through grace and not through works. Amen. Not through the law. We're not saved through We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. So why does it say in Hebrews 4, then there remains a Sabbath rest? Because one of the commandments is you must keep the Sabbath. Is that right? One of the commandments is you must keep the Sabbath. And then it says in Hebrews, New Testament, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So what is Sabbath rest? Let's go back to Genesis 2 and find out what Sabbath rest is. How did it eventuate? Where did it come from? Genesis 2.2 says this, By the seventh day God had finished his work 
he had been doing. He was creating the earth, in case you didn't catch on. That's what God was doing. And um, by the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So that's what established the Sabbath day, that God rested on that day from all the work that he had done. But let me tell you this, in the New Testament, there's a different meaning for us in this and we have to get the meaning of what God is trying to say. Even in the Old Testament, a Sabbath rest was not about a day or about a law because the scriptures clearly tell us that the Israelites kept the Sabbath but they never entered the rest of God. They kept the Sabbath day but they never entered the Sabbath rest. So there has to be something other than just keeping a day, than just saying, okay, one day a week, God, I'll just check out with you, go to church and we'll be cool. There's something else God is wanting here. If God had rested on the third day, then that would have made that day holy. Because whatever God rests upon makes that become holy. You see? Now, Isaiah 40, verse 28, I'm getting somewhere, just track with me, tells us that the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. So God didn't need a rest. He doesn't get tired or weary. He he wasn't talking about that he was tired and God just needed a rest, so he rested on the seventh day and then the seventh day became holy. What's God trying to say to us here? He's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us that rest is not in the Sabbath. It's not in a day and it's not in a law. But rest, true rest, is found in God. You see, if God rested on the seventh day, it made it holy, then God is looking for people that he can rest on to make us holy. He's looking for a people who will be his dwelling place. He's looking for a people that he can come upon and rest upon and make holy. Do you understand? That's why it says in Hebrews, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains then an opportunity for us to open up our hearts, to open up the door of our hearts, and allow God to come and rest on us and make us holy. For God to come and rest on us and give us something, impart something to us. Now when I, I mention the word rest, as human beings, the first thing we think of is great, sleep in. I'm going to have a good, you know, have a good rest. Yeah, I'll sleep in or you know, I'll be rejuvenated or I'll restore my energy. That's what we think of when we think of rest. We think it's rejuvenation, restoration of my own energy. But God's not talking about that here. He's not speaking of rejuvenation of our energy. He is speaking about a divine exchange of energy. He's not talking about taking your human energy and rejuvenating it and restoring it 
so that you feel better and you've got a little bit more energy and a little more get up and go. That's not the rest God is speaking of. The rest God is speaking of here is a divine exchange of our energy for God's energy. That when God comes to rest upon us, our striving, our anxiousness, our pressing to try and be something, to try and be somewhere, to try and fit our lives in everywhere, that whole anxious energy inside of us is actually exchanged for a divine peace. Amen? There's a storm at sea. All the disciples are freaking out. They're freaking out. They think they're going to die. They're all anxious. It's a storm. There's nothing calm around them. They don't know what to do. They want to know what to do. Jesus stands up and says, Be still. Peace. And the storm becomes flat. The storm becomes still. In their lives, there is a divine exchange of their anxiety for the incredible peace and rest that is a supernatural exchange that God gives to us. Do you understand that? Through the vessel, he wants, let me explain this. I'm going to repeat that. It is not a rejuvenation of our energy. It's an exchange of energy our life for God's, through which the vessel of humanity is filled with the divine presence and all-sufficiency of Christ himself. Amen? Amen? Now, to better understand this again, to go deeper, we need to look at the Hebrew word. It always helps to look at the Hebrew word the original text in which scriptures were written to give us the full meaning. Because in our English language, as I just said, when I say rest, we just think that it's sleeping or rejuvenating. But when we look into the Hebrew meaning of things, there's so much more meaning to that word when we look at the original. Amen? So the original word for that is nuach. I think that's the way you say it. I would say nuach. Is that how you say it? Is it up there? What's that? Yeah, just that new ark word. Have you got that? I don't want that scripture. Yeah? Yeah. I don't, is that how you say it? Any Hebrew scholars in the room? Yeah, I thought new ark. It sounds good. New ark. Yeah. Um, did I say Arabic then? <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> Among other things, it means rest, remain, be quiet. In the scriptures, God says to us, be still and know that I am God. Rest, remain, stop. Take a chill pill, take a breather, pull in, get some gas, running on empty, that sort of thing. But... It is also indicated as a complete uh, envelopment and thus permeation. Okay, let's break it down. This word nuach means that God himself and to us in the form of Jesus Christ comes into our world, envelops us, completely in himself 
and then permeates everything that he has and is into us. You get it? So when I say the rest of God, I'm saying the new ark of God. I'm saying that God, the creator of heaven and earth, wants to come, wrap his arms completely, his whole being around you and permeate every single part of your being with himself. God is looking for a place where he can merely rest from his labours with men. Let me explain that. One day I was driving along and, you know, oftentimes songs, I'll always interpret them as God. Even if they're not God's songs, I like to interpret them as God. And if it's a love song, I sing a love song to God because God is my greatest love. Sorry, Phil. Occasionally you might get a love song from it. It's rare. Um, I, I know that when we were talking to Simon McIntyre who recently lost his wife to cancer, he said, Phil, she left me for another man. <laughs> and I said, Phil, I'm sorry, but this is the only man I'll ever leave you for. If Jesus asked, I couldn't say no. And so I'm in the car and I'm listening to, oh, I can't even remember the guy's name. Like he, Anyway. He's a singer. And uh, he's a singer. He's not a Christian singer. Van Morrison. So you know me. And um, I'm listening to Van Morrison and this song comes on. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one above you? Fill my world with gladness. Take away my sadness. Ease my troubles. That's what you do. So I started to sing it to God. Have I told you lately that I love you and all that? And I'm singing to God. I'm thinking, you must love this song. You must be just so blessed with this song. And he just said to me, be quiet. I said, what? He said, will you just be quiet for a minute? Will you just... Ruach, what's the word? Ruach. Newark, will you just Newark for a minute? Will you just rest, remain, be still? Okay, so I'm listening to this song and then God starts to sing it to me. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one above you? Fill my world with gladness, take away my sadness, ease my troubles, that's what you do. And I was I just cracked. I mean, I had to pull the car to the side of the road and just put my head on the steering wheel and I just lost it. I said, God, I use your troubles? He said, yeah. Aren't you born again? I said, yeah. Don't you love me with all your heart? I said, yes. And he said, don't you help other people for me? Yes. Don't you repent of your own sin even before you do it? I said, yes. Do you listen to my Holy Spirit and not go into temptation? Yes. Do you live for me? Do you live the holiest life that you can live possibly for me every minute of the day? I said, yes. He said, well, how many millions of other people on this planet am I freaking out about and I don't have to worry about you? (laughs) You're one of my good kids. I went, wow. And this is what God is seeking. When he wants to come and rest on you, he wants to cease from his labour and come because you are the temple of God. Is that right? 
Because you're born again, you are the temple of God. God wants to come into his house, which is you, and have a rest on you. And while God's just chilling there, just loving being with you, just taking time out from the millions of people that he worries about every day to love you and not have to worry about you, then his whole energy of his being goes... Especially, you know, when you love, you're giving a lot more energy, aren't you? You know what I mean? Like, someone knows. You know, if I'm hugging my husband and I'm really ratty with him, there's not going to be great vibes going on there, is there? It's like, yeah, right. Pat him on the back, you know. You know, until you say sorry, you're not getting my full hug. Do you know what I'm saying? But when God's hugging you, is God is love, is that right? So is God love? He God doesn't He doesn't love. He is love. It's not something God does, it's something He is. So when love comes into the room, comes into your house, just because He wants to be with you, just because He wants to hang with you and rest from His labour in your house, in here. And then he's got all this love that he is and he just goes like that around you and all of a sudden everything that is is permeated into you. And it begins to penetrate every part of your being, every part of your world. It it penetrates your mind, your soul, your will. Your spirit inside of you begins to rise up and hear God and understand again. And you come out of the urgency and the rush of this crazy world and make sense of everything again because as God rests on you, you remember who you are, why you were created, what you're doing here and where you're going all at once. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that a beautiful thing? I've got written here, he seeks a relationship where he can completely envelop and thus permeate every dimension of our lives where he can remain and rest upon us. When our hearts have truly entered God's rest, we live in union with Jesus the same way that he lived in union with his Father. Christ's thought life was completely enveloped and thus permeated with the presence of God continuously. He only did, did things, Jesus only did things while he was on earth that he heard or he saw the Father doing. And he would draw him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, knew that he had to draw himself away to a place where he could open the door of his heart, where his father again would come and envelop him and permeate his very being with the very presence of heaven, that he might go out again and give out what was in him from the father and hear the father and see the Father in all that he did. 
You see, Jesus said this in John 14.10, The Father abiding in me does his works. It's the Father that abides in me. It's the Father that is resting on me. The Father does his works out of the rest in me. The Father does his works because he has permeated me with himself. And all, all Jesus had to do was walk around and say, what, touched that one, Father? And as he touched that one, the very energy and life source of God that had come into him through the rest of God and the drawing away to be with him came out of every part of his being and came into human beings and the same permeation that Jesus had gotten from his Father came through his being and permeated another soul and changed lives. Blind eyes just didn't open. The very presence of heaven permeated earth and changed situations. Jesus said, pray on earth as it is in heaven. And when we've been permeated, when we've been drawn into the rest of God and we've allowed God to envelop us and we've allowed God to permeate his very being into the essence of all that we are, then we carry around heaven inside of us. We carry around as it is in heaven inside of us. That's why Jesus said, pray it. Get away with God. Let God put heaven inside of you. Ask for it. Make yourself available for it. Open the door for it. Stop, remain, rest, be quiet. Let God come into his house. And then as you go about your normal life, you find that atmospheres change. Your children change. Your teenagers change. Your parents change. The atmosphere in your workplace changes. Your boss changes his attitude towards you. Normal life. Someone at work is sick. Can I pray for you? permeating, changing atmospheres, changing things. Amen? You have this ability. You see, but the scriptures say this, the devil comes to kill and to rob and to destroy. He comes to kill the life source inside of you. See, he can't kill you. You're protected under a divine presence of God. Yeah? He can't rob from you. Amen? He can't destroy you. He has no rights. You've been bought and purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. You bear the mark of his son. He can't touch you. But what he can rob, steal and destroy is the life of God inside of you. If he can get you empty, dry, you are absolutely useless to God and therefore he doesn't really care about you, the devil, I mean. If he can get you useless, he can get you unfruitful, he can get you depressed, he can get you worried, he can get you anxious, he can get you stressed, he can get you... And why do you think that everything is getting faster and more crazy and more anxious and more complicated 
Why do you think that seven days just isn't enough to fit your life in anymore? And God said, in the last days I will speed up time. And the devil knows that. He knows the word of God. If God's going to speed up time in the last days, then I'll just cram more into all that time and I'll make it so they can't stop. I'll make it so they don't rest. I'll make it so their lives are so important that God is not important enough. That phone call is so important. That SMS is so important. That email is so important. That friend on MSN or whatever it is, that's so important. God, I'm sorry, you have to wait. And there's God waiting, saying, oh, I just want to rest on you. You know what I mean? And we just get so, I do it myself. You just get so busy and so anxious and all of a sudden you go, I have no rest in my life. In every area of my life there is chaos, there is trouble, I'm being ripped off, I'm being, I'm being drained, I try and help people but I have nothing left to give. I'm just trying to survive here. I feel sick. I feel tired. I feel depressed. I feel unhappy. I can't go to church and put a smile on my face because I feel disgusting and I know that I am without God. Anyone ever been in that place? You know, it only takes, for me, it takes one or two days of just not stopping. And then I go, whoa, where is he? Like, yeah, I'm I'm just doing all... You know what? I've seen this happen to so many people of God and I'm not just talking about ministers, I'm talking about people of God where we begin to build in the flesh and whatever we build in flesh, we will produce flesh. Yeah? Smith Wigglesworth says this and I'm nearly finished. He said, you can either impart life or you can impart death. There's only two things you can impart. You, won't, you, you can't impart uh, a little bit of grey. It's either white or black. So if you're, if you're trying to help people, you're trying to love people, you're trying to get out and do something, even your own children... Amen. And you're trying to raise kids. You're trying to, if you're trying to be nice to your parents, but inside of you there isn't that life of God, then you're sowing death. And people will be left worse off than what you found them. We must receive life to give life. Amen. Jesus said this, Matthew 11:28. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And Hebrews 4.1 says this, Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Amen. To enter God's rest requires that we abide in full surrender to his will, in perfect trust in his power. 
We learn to rest from our works as he did from his. Matthew 11:29, Jesus said this, Learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Psalm 23 says, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Let's just stand to our feet for a moment. just want to take a couple of moments right here. Did you learn something today? Did you remember something that you used to know today? Did I remind you? Then let's not just walk away and just go, well, that was a great word, but let's receive something. Let's allow God, just for a few moments, to envelop us and to permeate our being. Let's take this minute now to have that rest right now. It's Sunday. It is the Sabbath. Let's receive that rest. I'm just going to open the altar up. If you want to come out, kneel down, lay down, stand. If you want want to remain in your seat, we're just going to play this song and we're just going to allow God to permeate every part of your being. In Jesus' name. Just close your eyes. If you want to come out, come now. Come now.